Sizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today I'm extremely excited to be joined by the Minister for Human Settlements and an ANC NEC member one of the most interesting voices in South African politics, Minister Mamuloko Kubai. Thank you very much, Minister, for joining us on SMWX. Thank you very much for hosting me. Um, looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, and I was recently at a social event at which there was a, a senior person from Lutuli House who will uh, remain unnamed. And I asked them, who do you think is the most interesting voice in the ANC today? And they said, you. Um, how do you respond to that? <laughs> Not so sure what does it mean, interesting voice. Um, but I, I guess I, I'm known to speaking my mind. Um, I am, I get, I'm, I'm not afraid to get into the discussions. Um, but as well, I'm firm on, on certain principles and also upholding of the NC principles. But yeah, so I do speak my mind and quite a lot behind closed doors, uh, more than in public. I know a lot of people keep on saying over time would want to know what you say. But yeah, I'm one person that speaks my mind, but um, as well, quite a lot vocal about um, issues around injustices, de dealing with injustices. Um, issues around championing the interests of young people, but just generally around the transformation of the economy. Um, those are some of the issues that I'm passionate about and education. Let's speak about some of those questions because a lot of uh, debate is going on in the country and also within the ANC at the moment um, around the need for uh, a newer generation to come to the fore for um, this situation of 60 and 70 year olds always running the show to, to come to an end. Uh, do you agree with that, that view um, within, within the ANC and indeed the state? Look, I do agree. I agree to a certain extent that we need a generational mix. Um, I don't think, I don't agree to a hostile takeover by a younger generation and removing the elderly altogether, um, because you still have to balance both the interests of the society. So each of us, like we are advocating that the younger generation wants to find a voice and young people wants to find people they can identify with. It will be similarly with the elderly generation. So there will be areas where you need them to navigate to assist so that they can deal with the issues. But majority of the people in the country are younger and therefore in terms of leadership, we must reflect that. And one of the unfortunate part currently is that when you look at the 1994, if you look at the state, 1994 cabinet, you had 35 year olds and less than 20, 30 year olds who were in cabinet either as deputy ministers and ministers. Today, when we look at the today's cabinet, we are four who are below 50. So mm. it can be about time. That's one. Because earlier on, 1994 would say South Africa was more conservative um, and all that. Male-dominated, yes, because you see lesser women 
in actually uh, holding positions in terms of ministerial. What is uh, um, appreciated now is that, for example, we have 50% of women in cabinet uh, being ministers, which is appreciated because previously it was not. But mm. on the age issue or younger generation issue, uh, which should be reflective of the country energy-wise, vision, um, different issues in terms of not being risk averse. Um, so you do need to, to look into that and say we have to improve, both even in terms of the ANC as well. One of the most unfortunate thing is that as old as the ANC is, when we look at the trend in terms of its leadership, when we talk about officials of the NCNOB, you find that we've literally not had a breakthrough. We've never had a secretary general that is a woman. We've never had a woman president. We've never had a deputy president who's a woman. So it's, it's worrying. And if you look at the trend, one of the things that is worrying is that most of the time, it's almost like the deputy secretary general was just designed for women. Mm. Um, mm. And, because, and, and when we look at them as well, where have they been? If you are to trace them, then you find that they just became deputy secretary general and exited. Um, so there's not been that conscious drive of ensuring that there can be women. And that's why, I mean, I'm vocal about it that the 60, 50% of women um, should compose of the NOPs as we go to conference. I just believe that it's difficult for us, especially those of us who are in leadership positions in government, to advocate in our sectors for women leadership when our own organization does not show that responsibility, does not show that track record. And therefore, and, and the issue is not that we don't have capable women in this country. Mm. We have them. We've seen them in positions of responsibility. They are chased by international organizations. And therefore you ask, why can't we as a country, as an organization, find them and utilize them effectively? And I'm going to be biased here. We do note that most of the time, I always make this example, you give a responsibility to a woman, majority of the time, we focus on making sure that things are done properly. And even when you empower women, you know that you're not empowering just one person. It's about a family. Look at institutions that are led by women, majority of them actually are doing very well. You'd have one or two that are just a spoiler, but majority are doing well. You go and look at women in business. For example, I always make an example about Ostefnugos and the work that she's done. She's a mining um, um, uh, person in the mining space, woman in mining. You look at, for example, the work that she's done to contribute to Barra into a community. She's plowed back into that community, visible, tangible. You go to talk to Mam Os, um, uh, Gloria Sorobe, you look at what they've done, championing the interest of women and supporting them in the areas, little as they have influence and where they are. But there's a track record of literally doing even just beyond what they are doing, but going is as far as contributing to the development of communities. And I'm not saying that there are men who are missing in that, but we are saying if we are given more opportunities as women, we do believe that even in the NC, this organization that is more than 100 years old, it has to today acknowledge that 50% of the women in that top six has to be women, and 50% of the leadership in the top six has to be women. That's... Uh... So true, um, especially this idea that every slate is just filled with men and then 
the, the deputy secretary general, you, you just see a kind of tokenistic appointment. Um, and one would hope that that will change into the future, not just in the ANC, but I think indeed in all political parties, there's, there's a chronic underrepresentation of women leadership in our country. Um, and I would, I would echo your, your sentiments. You know what is painful? Yeah, yeah. Maybe just mm. to come in, what is mm. even was painful is that those of us who are also perpetrators of this, when we see it in happening in other countries, we celebrate. And when we are mm. given an opportunity, I mean, you looked at how people will celebrate Rwanda. to say they have so many young people, they have so many women, but we have an opportunity to make it happen. We don't. And mm. we're just sitting in our comfort zones and celebrating those others. Um, you look at when a woman is appointed somewhere in another country, then you will see it circulating in our social media. But we forget mm. that it's because that country, the people there took a conscious decision to make it happen. And when we yeah. have that opportunity, we don't. And that's why for me, it's calling, and I've been saying this, calling for women in the NC, but also with the men to say, it has to be a conscious decision that we take. We can continue. And we, as we are saying, yes, you look at it, not that women are not raising their hands, they raise their hands, but then eventually you find that one person makes it, despite so many of them raising their hands. Mm. We're hoping even now, it's not going to be arrangements where people do deals and arrange as boys club in the background, and therefore forgetting that this is a responsibility that the organization has not only to itself, but to society. So can we talk about you specifically now because uh, your branch has endorsed you for the position of deputy president. Many people have raised you as a potential uh, national official. At the policy conference, I was watching very closely and seeing that the party was trusting you with communicating and conveying important policy decisions. Um, how do you feel about the, the prospect of uh, many people putting your name forward for high office in the party? Look, the fact that there are people who believe that as a black woman in this country, I have what it takes to lead. It's overwhelming, it's humbling. But I hope it's, it, it's, it's hope, it gives hope um, to a black child to say, you know, if we push, if we do well, we could be recognized. And I hope we can be able to reach to the finishing line and have positive outcome. That's where I am, because I do believe that it will not only um, do well to the NC, but to the society. In many fronts, um, that when we look at society today, many things that we are faced with, um, and I keep on saying, when we look at the face of poverty in South Africa as a big black woman, we've got to be able to change that. But it's it's not that majority of the things that we are doing, we don't understand. And that's why I say, majority of the things, we don't relate them from a theory point of view, it's but because we've lived it. Um, understanding a child that grows in an informal settlement because I've lived in an informal settlement. A black child who, who says, I've grown up, I made a mistake, I fell pregnant at an age. And therefore, but how do I make it? I stand and say, I've made it. I'm a minister to be, yes, I'm a contender to be a deputy president, whether I make it or not. But I, was, I'm a teen, I, I had a child as a teenager. So when a teenager looks at me, would have hope, whether I make it or not. And this is mm -hmm. the message I say I carry. This is why I have agreed 
to be a hope for a young girl in this country, to be a hope for a black woman in this country, that we do matter. And therefore, if we work hard, if we can consolidate, if we can be united as women, we can achieve it. Um, I know a lot of people keep on saying to me, you are brave. And I say, because I stand on the shoulders of Bumama Wini, I stand on the shoulders of Umama Matlake because had they as well said no, when the time was there for them to rise and defend and stand as a hope and an inspiration for a generation that comes up, up after them, perhaps would not have those inspiration, would not be standing on their shoulders. So it's about not only the NC, but it's about society. It's about recognizing that in this country, as an organization, we need to be able to turn tight. In terms of renewal, not speak it, but do it. It's about the issues of competence. It's about the issues of ensuring that we don't isolate society. So you look at, in terms of education, we've gone to school, studied with NSFAS, I tell at time. I had no parent who was working. I had, my mother was a domestic worker um, and uh, no one was working. So I studied through uh, TEFSA at that time, which was um, a student loan from government support. And that's why sometimes we've got to appreciate this in initiatives by government because they turn families around. You become a change agent in a family. And that's the message we're carrying. I've gotten in government. I've done my best to work hard and say, I'm going to do my best. And my theory is one. My philosophy is one. Whatever responsibility I'm given, I'm going to do it my best. Being a perfectionist that I am, I go, I read, I make it a point that I understand the responsibility that I'm given, but I instill hope in South Africans, but I serve and I serve well. And that's what it's about, that we must be able to say to South Africans, those who give it all to South Africans, as even as the organization will be able to recognize, but also, the issues around just not it being about us. Because one of the things I say, I stand here, I do believe that just even reaching the milestone for me has been a lot. Um, as last month, no, just after we did the, the, the Soweto event, two weeks later, I received a, a presentation. Uh, while my, my brand secretary received it from a family whose child was going, is going to Kuro school, who did a presentation about me as a black girl, who says, I will vote for the ANC because of this person. I did not understand, but it's a woman that I see, I, I listen to her and her message resonated with me. And for me, that's the hope I want us to instill. We can continue in a society where what we see of women is gender-based violence, it's femicide. And we're destroying our young girls because they rise up with no hope. Because what they hear us talk about, what they see in front of their, their eyes, what they see in their families, in their communities, is bodies of women that are lying down. It's women who are bruised. And that tide, that image of what a black woman is in this country has to change. And that's what we want to inspire as we go in contesting this deputy president position to say the face of a black woman can be poverty. A face of a black woman can be around femicide. The face of a black woman can be around all the bad things. A face of poverty or, or the face of a black woman must be about access. 
and greater achievement. Well, it's actually quite refreshing to hear when asked the question, someone actually saying, yes, I'm ready. Uh, and I, I want to make a contribution. Um, there's this long-standing custom within the ANC of people not actually admitting that they want to stand. And so one's never really sure, are they standing, are they not? And you seem to be starting a newer trend of actually expressing where you want to contribute. Um, is that something you've thought about consciously that it's actually time to articulate your desire for leadership rather than just sit back and expect uh, people to somehow read between the lines that you are available and ready? Look, it's not an individual decision, it's the decision of the NEC, where the NEC then allowed for campaigning, acknowledged that we live in the 21st century, we can't come to operate like in the past, but also that's why there's a talk about if people campaigning, these are the rules. Um, so the, the issue around being approached, then having to articulate, because what I believe is that as much as the people who are saying this is the candidate, clearly there are individuals who are saying, why should we vote for her? Uh, why her amongst others? And that's why it's important for us to start saying individual candidates must be able to articulate what they stand for, what are their principles, but not only for the NC, but for South Africa. So. If you look at our guidelines, we'll also talk about, even at some point, potential of debates, which I strongly support, because I believe that once, for example, for the top, top six, once candidates have been nominated and they qualify, what we need, because we don't lead ourselves as the NC, but we are a leader of society. Candidates must come out, we as society as well, must ask us, what is it that you are bringing to the table? so that you are able to say to us, then we can trust you. It must be a contract between that individual and the organization, but as well with South Africans, to say, this is what I'm committing myself to doing. And I believe once we do that, then there will be accountability. I strongly believe in transparency. So maybe that's why sometimes I come across that way, because I believe that when you're open and transparent, then there's no room for shenanigans, wrongdoing. Uh, you will be held accountable. And I do believe that what South Africa needs, it's leaders who are transparent in their doing and what we do, but also who are accountable. Understanding that these responsibilities that they are given, they are given because people trust them with that responsibility, but they expect them to serve them. And therefore they must be accountable in terms of what they are going to do for the South African population. And Thanks. obviously I have to balance, I have to balance that because the NC frowns on, as President Becky will say, so it's not that particular. So you wait until people say, okay, we trust you. And then you respond to say, this is what, because <laughs> right. now you've got to help. So the balancing is still important. So you don't see yourself as part of the Ndiketeni group? <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't start and say I want to. Uh, I was approached um, and I've not been uh, a person that stands and say, no, we followed the process. We've read the guidelines properly. And that's why now you can see over time, I've not been able to say, I said, when the time arrives, I will accept the nomination. Um, now nominations are opened. Uh, branches are already starting to nominate. 
um, and quite a lot. I receive calls, receive messages on Facebook, on WhatsApp. Everybody saying, majority of the people saying to me when they send, look, we support you and we want you to stand firm. Um, and the reason why it's important, sometimes there's a fear that as women, we raise our hands and say we are standing. And then there's backyard or backroom arrangements of deals mm. that you withdraw. And people fear that when they see us, especially as women candidates. So I had to stand and affirm them that, look, uh, this is what I believe in, even including myself. So because if I can't give the assurance that I believe in this thing, you end up with that thing, okay, people want you, but do you agree with this? Do you give assurance that we can go on the ground and work and campaign? You're not going to drop us in on the 11th hour. And that's the issue that is important. I didn't decide to say Nkiketen. They've decided to say this is what, and I'm humbled by that approach. And therefore, that's why I've taken the stance to say, because there's these people who believe in me. And therefore, I can't be the one who doubts myself when there are people who are standing and say, this is what we do. I think sometimes as well, uh, what we go through as Africans, especially uh, the issue of, of modesty, the issue of, and that's why we carry it even in our government, where we do well, we don't communicate uh, the good things, we always focus on the negativity. So I think it's part of us changing that culture and saying, We've got to be able to be upfront about what we do. But also, as I say, it's around the issue of transparency and accountability. So your name has been put forward for the deputy presidency position. Uh, do you think that President Ramaphosa has done enough to secure a second term? I do believe that President Ramaphosa has done enough to secure a second term. But as a person also who believes in him returning, um, who I would really uh, support uh, for him to stand one, on the basis of the work that has started in terms of renewing the organization. But secondly, around stability, we've always given most of our presidents second term. We did that with President Mbeki. We've done it with President Zuma. And I do believe that, and as you know, I've supported President Zuma. As you know, um, now I'll support, I didn't support President Ramaphosa in 2017. I support him into this conference instability and ensuring that we can be able to stabilize the country. One of the issues is that if you look at the, uh, the environment, when he get into office 2019, which is his first term that we can call, uh, we were hit by COVID in the middle of that. Um, issues of stability are very important so that we can be able to see ourselves out of COVID, out of the riots, out of the international global situation to stabilize the economy. I do think that for confidence in the markets as well, and confidence in the domestic uh, environment for business and also investors, but also just stability and bringing stability of the NC. I do believe that president must have a second term, and I would be. I am also campaigning for that, and wherever I am, I am advocating for him to return. Could I then uh, just finally um, follow up on something that you have said um, as a member of cabinet? recently with regards to business person Rob Herzog, who says that President Ramaphosa is a useless and spineless failure, quote, who is a disgrace and an absolute embarrassment to this country. Um, what, what do you say to, to that and that sentiment? Look, um, as you said, I reached out to him. I've seen his rents, and I'll call them rents. Um, and then I reached out. Um, to say to him, look, I'm, I'm the chair of the economic transformation in the ANC. I'm the co-chairperson of the economic cluster in government. I've never received a request from you for even for a meeting. 
nor a court. Now you are sitting on the sideline making noise, complaining. Um, I don't know what you think that this noise is going to. And he acknowledged to say, no, yes, um, I've not reached out and all those things. I said, I hope going forward, we'll have a better conversation, we'll have a better opportunity to interact and also make sure that we build South Africa. It's about South Africa. So when I saw the range, I just felt angry, I must say. I was angry, mad actually. Because here is a person that most of us, he insults the president, he insults cabinet. He doesn't acknowledge that I didn't approach him as an individual. I approached him as a member of the executive council of President Ramaphosa, a person who plays a critical role in the economy, who said to him, tell me where the problems are. Now, what we can accept is being bullied as cabinet. That can happen. And people think that the fact that they can insult us, therefore will make us to do that. Unfortunately, he's got wrong people. If anyone advised him to say insult them, they will succumb. I think they advised him wrong. We have, and one of the things I picked up as well as Minister Mandashi said, one, we picked up in the business day that he's got interest in AXA. And we're asking ourselves, there's nothing like going to dish out portions or shares. There are laws in this country, irrespective of who the person is they are going to have to follow those laws. We have a constitution that must be respected. But more so, it's very strange for a person who says I'm an investor, who talks down on brand South Africa. Because if you kill the brand, how are you supposed to get value? And he says we don't understand business. I think he doesn't understand business. Because when you put money into something, you want return on investment. How do you expect a return on investment on a brand and a, pro a product that you are destroying? Because in his articulation, he's destroying this brand, South Africa. He's destroying this product, South Africa. But he still expects that tomorrow is going to get a return on investment. He's going to, when his shares drops, because there are no confidence in this country, because of what he says, he sits in most influential platforms and he utilizes this opportunity wrongly to attack this government unwarranted, unprovoked, without you know, without without justification. And then he's going to say when he loses, he's in, he doesn't see the profits. He's going to blame us. He forgets that he's the instigator, he's the initiator of the problem. And this is what I always say to business people. It's a partnership. But the partnership must be based on mutual respect. It must not be a business, it must not be a relationship that is based on looking down on others. I mean, I get surprised when I hear somebody says, no, we are idiots. When a person does not even have a metric and I'm a PhD candidate, surely my education should mean something. And I'm a proud black African woman who has worked damn hard to be where she is. I was not parachuted. Therefore, it can't be that somebody has to go out there and insult us and tell, her, and, and tell the world that we are idiots. When he is actually, if we are to look at him, has he done anything that he has developed? You see, somebody says you, you've got this, uh, which is sometimes an issue that sometimes somebody will say we are labeling. But it's people who come from privileged environment, who do not know what suffering is, who do not know that waking up the ladder and making something out of yourself is and means. And that's why they can continue to look down on. And it's not going to happen. We will not tolerate it as members of this cabinet. And I'm surely one of them who will really definitely stand up and say, surely he is not even the right person to stand and tell me that I'm incompetent. 
when in terms of qualification and experience, he will not match me. That I can say. Well, uh, Minister Kubai, we've come to the end of our time. Um, I want to thank you very much for joining us, for being so forthright with us on various questions and open with us. And uh, we thank you very much for gracing our audience with this interview. Thank you very much, Susan. Keep well. The Caesar and Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, 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 aye.